I just finished recording with Perimeter 81. Jim and Lior were kind enough to spend an hour and a half of their day with me um, talking about Perimeter 81 and their approach to SASE and what that looks like for their customers. I was really excited to have this conversation and going into it and actually delayed delayed doing this recording for um, a little bit over a month so that way I could be at my desk and in my office and uh, not while I was traveling. What's exciting about this for me is there's been a big bifurcation of capabilities of, you know, of security, of SASE, you know, in the marketplace. And what I mean by bifurcation is we see a lot of solutions that are really targeting the low end, the consumer, the prosumer, the SMB space. And when you dig into and you start actually using and trying to configure and, and, and use these systems and these tools, you find the capabilities aren't wonderful or the product isn't great or the service isn't good or you know the agent the way the agent deploys isn't wonderful and and then you go to the other side which is typically a, a requirement for a much larger organization so you know once you're over a thousand say you know a thousand users um, this this other thing opens up for you becomes feasible based on cost and deployment professional services that come into it and for myself you know we're a small organization so and but we're aware of capabilities so even in the same situation where you look at it and you say okay the entrance and the small and the uh, SMB targeted uh, tools are not wonderful and we don't want to run them for ourselves but yet you know even with the knowledge and understanding awareness and technical chops to go out and run and, and come to market with you know the larger players and in, in these larger oriented solutions that's not a good fit for us either um just because of the, the the effort and the energy necessary in order to run it so perimeter 81 is a very interesting supplier for us um it was it was a fantastic conversation i was very happy um that this we were able to get this done and by the way jim from perimeter 81 on the sales side as he talks about multiple times and then lior uh, is the CISO for perimeter 81 and whenever you have a conversation you can actually talk to a, a seasoned CISO about what they're doing for the organization for security and then if it's a CISO that is working for a security company that has to deal with their organization's security as well as be the security ambassador so to speak for their customers as well it always becomes very interesting so um, i hope you enjoy this conversation with perimeter 81 because i sure did Hi, I'm Max Clark. This is an IT broker tech deep dive. I'm with Perimeter 81, specifically um, Jim Finnerty. Jim Finnerty. See, I'm already, I'm, I'm five seconds in, I'm already messing up. Jim Finnerty is director of channel. And Lior Mazor, who is, um, Lior actually have a fun title. He's a, a CISO for Perimeter 81, but it's also very important to say that he's the global head of information and physical security. Um, Lior joins us from his, his bunker, his safe house in his house. Um, I am not in a safe room. I'm just in my normal room and I have no idea where Jim is. But anyways, with that aside, um, from, from a, a little of the sidebar that we had before I pressed the recording button. So Perimeter 81 is, um, uh, you guys designate yourself, I guess, in the sassy space. I don't want to, I don't want to typecast you too much. I'll let you actually, um, speak directly and, and talk about this a little bit, but, um, I've been very excited to have this conversation, um, once I've, once I've discovered Perimeter 81, I've been wanting to do this for a while. Thank you for accommodating me and my traveling schedule over the summer and making this happen as soon as I was stationary again. So, so guys, appreciate it. Thank you very much for joining. 100%. Glad you got to uh, enjoy some, some time off. Hopefully you went somewhere warm and uh, with palm trees and, uh, and little umbrellas in the drinks. I'm I'm in Dallas. Warm isn't the problem right now for the summer. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, sure. it's, I think everybody everybody's seeking out something cold. Is Maybe is, somewhere uh, is temperate. Really be. Yeah. So, um, Perimeter 81, um, like so many companies founded and started in Israel, um, really focused on the security space. And I, I think the best way, and actually the, the first question I would lead in with is what was the impetus or like the inception thought with 
the, the company and with the service that you're delivering. What, you know, what was the pain point that when you looked out in the market and said, okay, great, let's go out and solve this and we can do this better. Sure. Um, Lior, we'll, we'll, uh, you know, how exactly we'll, we'll pass things off, but I'll take a stab at this one. Uh, and the first thing I'll, I'll say is it wasn't my idea. I wish it was, I wish I had the, the wherewithal, but our founders, uh, Amit and Sagi, their story was that they had started a company that was essentially a consumer facing VPN. It was a cloud-based VPN that they were selling to end users directly. And through that, they built a lot of infrastructure and uh, I think tackled a lot of the, the challenge of securing connections, but realized that there was a bigger problem to be solved within the corporate world. And their vision was, hey, we have a lot of resources moving to the cloud. And at the same time, we have workers that are becoming more and more remote, working from the road or working from home. Even before the, the pandemic, which really accelerated that motion, there should be a better approach to network security that would better secure with better performance uh, those organizations and their workforce. And so that was their in initial vision, as I understood it uh, or understand it, to deliver network security for this more modern working environment. I mean, my one of my favorite things about security in the security ecosphere is just endless acronyms, right? So we, we talk about it and we look at it and we see things like- An alphabet um, soup. It's an alphabet soup, right? Um, so, so SWG, Secure Web Gateways, or um, you know, now what we kind of put into is um, uh, Internet Access, Secure Internet Access, um, ZTNA, Private Access, VPN, CASB, DLP. I mean, you kind of just you know run through this like just just soup, and you know, I will I will talk trash about Gartner a lot, but they threw all this together and said, okay, now it's called Sassy. You know, like basically everything is now just just this like sassy thing. I mean, you kind of touched on a little bit, Jim. I mean, Perimeter 81 is, you know, coming out of like this VPN endpoint, you know, and, and structure. I mean, I, th I think that's what, what maybe is lost in a lot of these situations is that VPN becomes the core technology that then like enables the client to connect to something to do something else, right? Like it's it's coming across some sort of encrypted tunnel. So great, you have a VPN now to go somewhere. But then there's a whole lot more that then, you know, packs into this. And you know, let's let's talk about that. Like, what is the whole lot more that starts being created? Because I mean, you can go out and you can get a VPN. You can go get a consumer VPN. There's lots of people advertising. I mean, the VPN space is really popular in terms of like you know ad spend on and in any search engine or any platform you look at. But this this isn't just a VPN. We're talking about a lot more here, right? For sure. Uh, and I, Jimmy, if I can, add, yeah, Jimmy? please. Yes. I, I don't want to. You, you know. You know, eventually, uh, and you are totally correct, Mark, there's lots of, uh, uh, you know, buzzwords, things like that. But eventually, if you are thinking about it, uh, the corporate network has changed. Uh, starting from uh, on-prem uh, inside your organization, now the Internet has become the new uh, corporate network. And eventually, everyone is connecting on want to connect to the resource, to internal resource. Uh, and you also have lots of resources, like it's not just your resource or the data are uh, inside your uh, corporate network. It's also resigned on your uh, cloud providers or SaaS uh, application and others. So eventually you have many people or many employees in your organization uh, want to get access to your, uh, to your data source, to your application, to your database. And you need somehow to secure this uh, internet or the new corporate network, which is the internet. So you need to have better and better suit solution uh, in order to protect this uh, increased attack surface. 
because eventually you are providing this kind of secure connection, but also you want to reduce the attack surface of a hacker that will come into your resource and steal your data. So on top of that, there are many solutions which went out from the corporate network, the on-prem to the cloud and to your edge security, which is called the system. So, I mean, within this alphabet soup, you know, there, there was a once upon a time where you would go out and you would actually buy, you know, a web proxy, some sort of filtering firewall. You know, you would talk about, you know, firewall vendors want to sell you like a UTM or DPI, you know, functionality on the firewall and the physical appliance. And then you had, um, you know, a remote access VPN to the corporate environment or your data center where you were putting everything through that. And then there's there's architectural issues with that. We can we can talk about it. We don't have to talk about it. We can just say there's problems with that. But but looking at and like thinking about where these things have kind of gone, it was okay. You had to go out and you had to buy an SWG, and then maybe you had you know what we would call what was called like a software defined perimeter, an SDP, which was really kind of like this you know, um, slash like ZTNA, you know, zero trust network access kind of component, which was usually implemented by an SDP. You know, you start throwing in all these other things, like what's what are you doing around malware prevention or detection, or what are you doing around, um, you know, policy enforcement for remote users? And this isn't a platform that was built and then cobbled together. This was you know, you guys are very much in a different state of like, okay, we have this platform, which just happens to run in the, I hate the term the cloud, in the cloud, right? And and now you get all these things with it. So so the shift for, I guess, the company, let's say the IT teams or then the actual corporate knowledge worker, you know, is, is, is substantial. What, how far into this world, how deep are you going? You know, um, we see a vendor say, hey, we have a ZTNA solution now, but you dig into it and you're like, you don't really have a ZTNA solution. You have something that you call ZTNA because it's the buzzword. Like how, how deep into these different things are, you know, and are you doing, and I'll stop there. I'll, I'll, I'll try to only give you one question at a time. Although I want to ask you like 30. Lior, I'll let you start with that one if you'd like, unless you want me to take a stab so, at so, it. So I, I think we have a product roadmap. Uh, and yes, we, we, we started with, uh, uh, with the ZTA and we have this, this SASA solution. We have the secure web gateway and malware protection. And we are adding additional layer of security because we, we understand the use cases. We understand the attack surface and we are building a product that can give you a full secure solution eventually in order to give you the capability of becoming or changing the world from on-prem to the internet uh, as, as the new corporate network. Because eventually, if someone is uh, logging into your resources, uh, you want to validate his policy. You want to validate that he is secured, identified, authenticated, authorized. And then you are also getting into traffic itself, understanding he has the permissions. Or a uh, next phase will be uh, if there are any uh, leakage or implementing data leakage prevention system. And you are doing a firewall log because you want to monitor all the actions and have some visibility of what the endpoints are doing, where does it serve, there is a secure web gateway to validate that the, the endpoint is not being affected by a malware that might be affect your network. So eventually it's an overall solution uh, that provides you the, the accessibility uh, for the business use. Because we can see uh, the market are going to bring your own device uh, and, and connect from wherever, um, wherever place, which each device you can connect from your laptop, computer, a phone, it uh, doesn't matter. However, everything is becoming uh, the new corporate network and, and 
we as a security company want to protect uh, and we have several solutions and other out of our array of core products roadmap. Do you want to elaborate on that? Let me let me back up here because I'm I'm realizing I'm like so excited to do this that I'm like probably skipping some really basic stuff, which is Lior, can you start by just explaining um on a high level what perimeter eighty one is, what it is that you do, and what are the different like sub pieces that you do? And so that way somebody that's watching or listening to this that maybe, you know, isn't as like like excited as I am right now because I've been geeking out on this for a couple of months. Um, you know, has a maybe a foundation for us to get into some depth. So I'm forward it to Jim because it's a product point of view. And Jim, you want to give the speech of uh, what is Perimeter 81, you know? Sure. Uh, so uh, I would summarize Perimeter 81 as uh, a network security solution that's designed for the modern workplace. Uh, and the, the, the characteristics of that modern workplace are resources in the cloud, people outside of the office. The big shift is that there's there's less or in some cases, nothing on premise. And so from a network security perspective, before this type of solution, we were placing boxes in environments that were protecting nothing there. And so the uh, the the workaround would be VPNs, right? Let's get let's virtually get those users back into the network, and and that wasn't what those appliances were designed for. And so Perimeter eighty one, in some way, I believe, is that perimeter security capability that will follow users wherever they are, will uh, control and protect access to environments wherever they are, right? Whether it's still some legacy equipment that's uh, or servers that are on premise, or what is more and more the case resources that are deployed in a, a VPC, a cloud environment, or on the web. Um, and so how deep are we going is the is kind of the one of the questions that you'd asked previously. It's an iterative process, for sure. Um, I've been with the organization for nearly four years now, and I can say the product has come a long way from you know, the first the first calls I was making you know, three and a half, four years ago. Uh, and the capabilities we had uh, have become much deeper today than they were then. And, and frankly, we, we still have more uh, that I get excited about in our roadmap that that is coming uh, that really delivers on that full that sassy vision that that as Gartner would define it. Um, but we want it to be all the protection you need in one unified holistic platform um, because it's really challenging to have lots of attack surface that's been introduced with these new working conditions and the the various solutions that are needed to be cobbled together to to come up with some some protection. Uh, but they don't all work well together unless it's designed as a as a holistic platform like we've been pursuing. Security doesn't have direct ROI. There are, I think there's a tendency when purchasing technology to look for an ROI or, you know, what is this thing actually going to return to us in terms of value? And, and you know, if, if you, there's a lot of things that you can go out and you can purchase and you can say, this is going to do X, Y, and Z for us, which then is going to, you know, make the business better and generate more revenue or, or make us move faster, whatever those things are. In a lot of cases, security doesn't actually give you a direct ROI. Like if you go out and you buy an MDR, you know, or EDR with an MDR service, you know, you're 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 not buying like ROI. You're you're mitigating risk and you're lowering risk. Firewalls, almost all firewalls I've ever encountered in any corporate environment, were there to provide a function, which was we have private IP space in our office, 
a limited number of public IP space. So we need this device to do a NAT function for us. And it just happens to be a firewall. And maybe in some cases, if you're really old, you know, it's it's got a rule to allow SMTP in so that way our email server works, right? But like they weren't really sophisticated, even though they were selling these UTM and DTM, DPI and all these other things that you could enable. When I when I see companies deploying, you know, what's now becoming this like sassy category of service. Usually I'm finding that company is solving a different problem that just happens to be solved with, you know, this thing, right? Like we need, we have a remote workforce now that needs to connect from home. Um, we've got a, uh, an office on the West Coast, but we've got a bunch of people working in Europe and we can't pin their traffic back to Los Angeles. Um, we need to be able to provide, you know, when are people actually signing in? Where are they not? Are they geofenced? Are they not? Right? Like those, those become like business issues that then say, okay, here's your technology and here's your security solution that actually solves this problem for you. And so I'm kind of curious from your side of that, how much of what you're seeing with adoption is a company that's already decided they understand that they need a ZTNA or an SWG or whatever, whatever term it is, right? Versus saying, oh, we have this business problem that we want to go solve and enable or, or, or add capability. And now we found this solution and Perimeter 81 is doing that for us. I think the, the question of ROI uh, is, is a broader question that can be applied to anything in the security space, right? You brought up EDR as, a, as an example. It, you're right. It's, it, it's, a, it, it's a cost without a, a, an immediate return um, and it's a hidden return, right? If you're not, you only really know if your security stack is not working, um, if you, know, you suffer a breach and um, nobody wants to go through that. So it's almost, it's almost like purchasing insurance. You hope you don't have to use it, but you're glad it's there uh, if, if, you have, if you have to. And I think from an adoption, it's been a lot of conversations that I'm having are around replacement costs, right? What, what part of the stack or what parts of the stack would this replace and, and or are we needing to come up with new budget to, uh, to enable this protection? In short, I think SASE is a little bit of both, right? Because it's responding to changes in the workplace, remote users, more resources in the cloud. This is different from what it was. Uh, so it is a little bit of both. Right, we're replacing certain elements of the stack uh, with uh, a SASE solution that includes like web filter, that includes VPN, obviously being uh, kind of a classic use case. Um, and the costs associated with that can vary from direct costs of you know, what is the licensing costs on a legacy system that allows us to do it to some degree of what we can accomplish with a SASE platform like Perimeter 81. But then there's also hidden costs, like the cost of labor, right? There's a lot of complexity in how we're creating VPN tunnels from a, a, a remote geographically dispersed team, users in another country, uh, on other, other parts of the world, back to uh, a, a site that's in California. How do you address that with legacy equipment and how cumbersome can that be? And in the man hours and the costs uh, to, to stand something like that up. And so I think it, it can be viewed in terms of ROI by factoring in all of those replacement costs, licensing and time and, and then ability, right? Uh, are we going to enable a better performance to have more productive workforce? Um, are, we, are we going to enable more restrictive access controls than we would have with legacy systems, uh, you know, and, and that would that would serve this new these new working conditions well, right, with remote users and the, the limitations that legacy uh, security solutions can offer. Um, so 
coming up with your buyer and you're trying to calculate, how do I bring this to the board and, and ask for this budget? It is in most cases, in my experience, it's been a combination of replacement costs directly with licensing on or appliances that you would have otherwise been purchasing or that you're replacing and the new capabilities that it offers or that it affords you with these with the new style of working. It is a combination of those two, I think. Lior, CISOs have an interesting job, which is trying to measure and mitigate risk to their organization. I had a conversation with a director of security operations for a very large company, and he was sharing a conversation he had with a CTO. Basically, the CTO asked him for a budget. What do you need in order for us to protect our environment and do what we should be doing? Um, and I think he came, you know, it was like, tell me everything. Give me, give me your wish list, right? And, uh, and he went back to the CTO with a, with a I think it was a million dollar request. Um, nothing really crazy, but you know, you, what you would, what you would deploy and the feedback that was pushed back to him was, is you, you have $50,000 and you know, that they figure it out. Right. And there's a lot of noise and chatter that comes into this about what do you actually deploy and what, and what, you know, what pace. Right. And I, I, I have this conversation a bunch, right. Where it's like, do you invest in an EDR? Do you invest in email filtering? Do you invest in an SWG? And I'm, and I'm kind of curious, you know, from your viewpoint now, obviously you're working for a company that is, um, you know, on the, you know, the, the, well, perimeter, I don't want to, <laughs> okay, no pun intended, but, you know, en enabling that, that side, right? So, you know, if, if you're in a situation, what I've kind of started wondering about is, you know, there's, there's a certain amount of, um, you know, EDR is almost like, it's, it's not, it's a little bit pre preventative, but it's almost more reactionary, right? You know, you've got this tool that allows you to figure out what happened and then try to unwind what happened, but not try to prevent what happened. And, you know, is there time to like start thinking about this differently of, you know, is your, is your threat factor really stop it from happening in the first place? Don't try to like catch it and then unwind it. But, you know, is there a technology or techniques to, to start looking at this? And, and, you know, should we be focused around, you know, preventing stuff from actually reaching the devices as opposed to trying to unwind it after it does. Um, so, so first of all, I'm, I'm in the in the cybersecurity industry for the past 18 years, and I saw all the the movement and the shift. Um, back days, uh, back then we had a very little solution. So, if you will want to be secure, you need to do this and that, and that's it. Nowadays, we are like a tailor. We need to tailor a specific cybersecurity suit, let's call it like that, for our organization. Um, eventually, from, from the story you told, uh, it's a risk management. So I'm a sister, I think, and this is my attitude also internally, um, I'm managing the risk for my company. In order to become a business enabler, you need to be very transparent and actually tailor-made the solution to the organization, to the risk posture of your organization. Uh, I can tell you that I'm also using, we are also using our product as one of the, our protection layer. And specific to the question that you've asked, so as a system, I'm building uh, security layers. So uh, uh, layered in that, uh, defensive layer uh, attitude, we state, yes, we need to uh, build a control, eventually the outdoor, the perimeter control. Um, but there are additional controls layer because we understand that hackers, it's not a matter of uh, time, it's a matter of if, it's a matter of when they will attack us. And eventually as a, as a CISO, I want to protect my company and put the correct defense in layer in order to, if one uh, layer will be broken, I have another one. Um, so this is what I'm doing in order to protect the data eventually. Um, 
So I'm building those risk posture and understanding what are the risks from business perspective. Uh, I think the perimeter is one of the, the biggest layer because it's actually the entry point to the organization. So we need to have a real strong solution over there, uh, hopefully with the perimeter 81 uh, solution. But you need to have more control. It's not the, it's not the one control and that's it. You need to build your, your approach. Uh, from risk perspective, and I can tell you that some control can be detective, some can be corrective, uh, some can be uh, just, uh, you know, alerting or deterrent. Uh, but as a security professional, you need to set the, the risk posture or understand the risk posture of the, your organization and build, build the wall and in defense layer approach. Okay, eventually in order to uh, present the ROI, the security ROI to the organization. But yes, it's a, it's a tough job. You are correct, Max. thing that I like about SASE is it's almost, um, it's, it's, I don't want to say subversive. It's like almost like a Trojan horse, you know, where you end up with functionality. As an organization looks to modernize it, you don't want to maintain firewalls anymore. They have a licensing issue. They're putting up new offices, whatever the, whatever the trigger event is, right? And you say, okay, let's take you to a modern, you know, SASE SD-WAN, you know, edge and your offices. So much comes along with that, that, that you just like, you, you gain by default with it, that it's, you know, it, it's really, you know, for me, it's really exciting because I love having conversations down the road where it's like, oh, you already have all these things. You know, you have this, like, we need to do X. And you're like, no, you already have that. You know, you got that when you did this thing. You already have it. And it becomes these, like, accidental discoveries almost. Um, you know, what I was thinking about when you were talking is there was a, um, a CICD company that had a, a breach is it a year ago? My mind is so messy at this point. Who knows? And I'm not, I won't say the names. I've, I've, I've complained about them already enough. But, you know, reading through the, first off, their their system, they were notified that they had a suspicious activity on their platform from one of their customers. So one of their customers actually noticed that something was weird and going on and then actually tracked it back to them and then notified them and told them. So they didn't know or, or figure this out on their own. So that's like strike one. And then they post this, this, this after action, you know, investigation, like what happened and what we're doing, you know, kind of response. And and they're using really curious terms. It's like, you know, our antivirus software didn't detect it, you know, and one of our contractors, and then and then we had connections back to VR VPN from IP addresses and these systems over here in these countries that we didn't notice. And, and you read through it and you're like, it's like almost this like, it, it's like watching this train wreck in slow motion of like, if you just did anything at any step along this way, like if it just chose anything, it would have prevented this from, from being becoming what it became and i kind of i'm curious like how you know obviously that organization before they had this event didn't see any value in these things or they didn't know that these things were available to them they didn't know you know you don't don't run an antivirus run an edr they didn't know you know they needed to have strong im they didn't know they needed ztna and geo geofence remote access for their employees they didn't know they needed this you know or they knew and they chose not to do it but i'm, I'm going to go with they didn't know so how how do you go through that in terms of like an education cycle around i mean i don't like the term education cycle but you know, like this is what you're trying. I mean, you know, this goes back to my earlier question. Like, how do you enable? Like, what's the actual business? Like, you business actually needs this, so you can give you this, and in addition, you also get all this other stuff as well. And like, oops, you just gain security because you were trying to solve this other problem. So, so as a CISO, this is one of the parts. You know, CISO has uh, several hats. Let's call it like that. It could be like a one end. It could be. A, it should be a lawyer. On the other end, it should be a technology a wise. On the other end, it needs to be a marketing uh, person. Think very seriously. Uh, 
eventually I, I will say, I will talk about parameter 81. So we are as a security company who's protecting our customers and have a security product. Uh, we need to be aligned with the, with the best practice, the most restricted best practices. And we are certified, for example, for the SOC 2 type 2. Uh, we've been audited. Uh, we're also certified for the ISO 27001, which we are also uh, audited. Uh, we are doing lots of security uh, risk assessment, penetration tests internally and externally uh, in order to validate that we are protected. So my advice, take the best practices and be aligned with the security standards. They are not something as 18 years ago, there were no standards, there were one solution. Uh, nowadays, there is standard and solution for everything. Uh, even when you are going to the cloud, there is best practices. Uh, if you are developing, you have the secure software developing, uh, best practices, the secure coding for every developing language. Uh, so yes, you need to be aligned with the best practice. However, you need to fine-tune the control that we talked about, the security control, the detective, corrective, and others, uh, in order to implement and, and adapt it to your organization. Because if you are taking, for example, the, the Microsoft SSDLC uh, out of the box, it's not aligned with your positive developing lifecycle. So you need to adapt the security controls and the security uh, risk posture to your organization. Because what is uh, right for, uh, for example, for my company is not related to a company which is, uh, I don't know, uh, selling to the to the army. Uh, okay, um, so there are different grades of uh, security and and risk posture. On one hand, the the last the last thing will be the the people. You know, you are we are investing in technology. Uh, as I said, we are investing in in process, but the the third wheel uh, will be the people. So if you are not investing in the people, and I'm calling it awareness and training, eventually uh, the weakest link in cybersecurity is the, the people. So they need to be aware. And can, I can tell you that from my uh, own experience, when people are aware, they're also coming to you with uh, some security issue they found, uh, and you can use this power. But eventually, they need to know why they are doing security. And when they will know that the, the last person in your company, that the secretary, uh, will know why you need to do uh, cybersecurity and why, he needs to report uh, an email phishing because he can protect all other companies. That's a huge advantage and uh, becoming or, or changing everyone's mindset in order to become more secure. The company will be more secure uh, and resilient. Boy, I've got a couple of follow-ups on that one. So let's do the first one, right? Um, ultimately, people are the threat vector, right? I mean, when it comes down to it, it's it's uh, everything comes back to, you know, a, a human event at some point, right? Even if it's just misconfiguration of device, it's still, you know, the human is the I mean, how to put this, right? If you put me on a soccer field with Ronaldo or like in a game of one-on-one with LeBron, I'm going to get smoked. You know, like it's just, I don't even know if I get one, 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 I, I touch the ball, right? Like probably not. Like I'm just smoked. And there's a certain amount of activity that happens in the world of cyber that's just, you know, just noise and garbage that's just always circulating. You know, put a, put a device on the internet and, and count to five before it gets its first, you know, probe, right? But we're talking about asymmetric uh, expertise, you know, People that are trying to penetrate resources for companies, and whether it's just a random, we're just we're just looking for something, are professionals, and the people that are you know on the other side of it are not professionals in cybersecurity, you know. And so I feel bad in those cases because the human threat factor, it's not even you know I think I think for a long time it was really positioned as more like an ignorance or or um, 
you know, like a non-caring kind of response is kind of how people talked about it. But it's just really, you know, they're, they're so outclassed in that situation that there's just, you know, you have no hope, you have no shot, right? And I think the other one that really drives me crazy within security now is this idea of like the security maturity model. And like, you know, like this, like layers, you say, okay, you know, measuring risk and, and appropriateness, you know, for a company, you know, versus like the army, of course, a huge difference. And everybody understands that. Like, I'm not a bank. I don't need bank level security. I'm not the government. I'm not the DOD. I don't need DOD level security. But there's very little actual information that says if you want to have, you know, so if if um, if the CIA is 10 and a bank is seven, you know, and you want to be a four, like, what does that mean for you in terms of what you actually need to do? There's there's these ideas of like, oh, you need to go start here and then you need to do this, and you get to that and then you get to soar and you have this whole thing and it like works around. But like, what does that actually mean for people? There's no real like, oh, you know, you are a normal business operating in a knowledge space with some intellectual property that has bank accounts and employee access to do X, Y, and Z. And, you know, you can be vulnerable to phishing attacks and computer resource and all these things. And you should be like, let's call it a four. You should be a four. And what does a four actually mean? A four means you need these things and you should do these things in this order. Like you've done nothing, start with this thing and then do this next thing and then do this third thing, right? Um, and I, I find I, I, I find that to be the interest. I mean, I don't know. Tell me I'm wrong because I'm 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 usually wrong about these things. But that's that's kind of the perception I'm getting with this is just we're not helping non-security professionals understand what they're supposed to do and why. Not that like they know they need to do something. It's just like why do you know like what what should I do and why? So, so I, I I think that there are frameworks that you can use. Um... Like ISO 27001, and and actually you need to you need to understand on which uh, uh, what, what is your business. Okay, so for example, if your business is uh, um, dealing with uh, you are in e-commerce and you have credit cards, so you you must know that you need to be aligned with the PCI DSS, the Payment Card Industry Data Security Standard. Or if you uh, are working or selling in the the EU, you need to be aligned with the GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation. And each and every regulation has inside inside it security requirements. So if you are asking me which should I follow? I would uh, start with with the one the regulation that needs to be aligned with. If I'm selling to the to the US or the Germany, there are their own private rules. So you need to validate which kind of regulation you need to be comply with. Uh, following that, uh, you can also do a self assessment. So if you are not familiar what your risk posture, uh, bring the the expert do the the security risk assessment. However, follow a specific path. For example, there are some mandatory requirements. For example, if you have an employee working all around the world that needs to connect to an uh, internal network, you must have some SaaS solution. You need to lower the risk with with a, a, a good solution, uh, enable the business in one hand and reduce the risk of someone or some hacker that will misuse uh, the attack surface and get your data or your details. Uh, so you need to map all uh, the data or the sensitive data and understand what are the risks. For example, if there is a risk that someone will send uh, a phishing email and, and uh, an employee will uh, deploy or uh, install some software. So you need to have some uh, endpoint protection or antivirus or um, some other um, detection or uh, prevention system in order to validate that you are not in risk or even lower the risk or alert accordingly. But I think nowadays there are more standards that you can, you can get. 
for example, NIST and SANS has specific security guidelines for each and every uh, field. Uh, there is the Cloud Security Alliance. If you are a cloud product, you are going to the cloud, go to the best practices, the Cloud Security Alliance, see what is the best practice over there. Uh, I know that also Gartner has some best practices related to SAS. For example, if you want to choose a SAS solution, there is, you know, the checklist. You don't need to invent the wheel. There is a built-in checklist. And I can tell you that we are also part of Cloud Security Alliance as, as a company that want to achieve this kind of standard. Okay. I, I've definitely been deferring to, to Lior for, uh, for his security expertise on this, but I will share, I'll, I'll add to, to what you've said with my opinion on it is, Max, I think the challenge of, hey, you're this type of organization, you should be at a four and defining that and what that means is so challenging. Uh, regulations and frameworks have done a, a good job, but I think what's difficult is that things are changing so quickly. So I don't think, I, I, I don't think a, an organization deploys a security stack and says, that's it, we're done, because the, the environment continues to change and the threats continue to change. And so it has to be a, a continuous effort and an iterative effort to, uh, to continue to protect as threats uh, are, are enhanced by AI capabilities, as an example, uh, but changing environments, as I was speaking about uh, with the remote workforce, with uh, movement to the cloud, all of these changes represent a need to update those regulations and, and use those frameworks for sure. There's a lot of available frameworks out there for different types of organizations, but that should be the minimum. Um, the other thing that's changing is is how you know the marketplace and and uh, players like us and um, and other you know it's it's a very broad market develops capabilities that make these protections more accessible to different types of organizations. I think there, there's an analogy that I really love, and I know I'm not the one that invented this. I'm sure it's been used um, plenty of times, but I I love thinking of like medieval times and you have your castle as the, the protection and, and the analogy that I've always, I've, I've spoken with uh, customers and partners about is you have EDR, for example, it, in, in my sense, that would be representative of the sentinels that are roaming the streets and looking for, for bad, bad apples that have already entered the, the castle grounds, or perhaps you don't even have, you know, a, a castle because you're a small organization that's at a level four. And so, you don't have a castle, right? You don't have the um, you don't have the resources to build a castle. So you do what you can for your size organization. Now, the castle walls, the moat, these would be representative of a perimeter security solution. Let's keep everything contained. Let's let's ensure that we're not uh, open to anyone who wants to walk the grounds uh, and and have their their way with uh, you know with with the people that are um, you know in in the village, but. As vendors like us have built new technologies, SASE is a good example. And I think this is an area that we play very well within the SASE market. We've reduced the complexity of entering uh, that level of protection. And so we've made this type of perimeter security solution very attainable for an organization that's as small as five, five employees, right? For a village that small, it would have been prohibitively expensive to, to stand up the physical infrastructure, just given the competence and the, the talent that you need to, to do that. And so there's changes on the threat side that we need to be aware of and, and keep up with. But then there's the good news is there's changes and there's development uh, on the uh, on the um, 
you know, on, on the product side, on the protection side, that is making a more robust security stack accessible to different level organizations. So I think using those frameworks as a minimum is, is, would be my recommendation. Definitely those are the, the best places to start, but evaluate for yourself, well, what else is possible? What is now available to us that can enhance our security that much more given uh, you know, all the, the, the funds that have been poured into this uh, quickly growing and broad market? I'm, I'm smiling because Jim, you've, you've walked into two things and I wasn't gonna give you this just yet, but now I'm gonna give you the hardball. Okay. Because you walked into it. I did it to myself. Thank you. You, you did it to yourself. So I, I was gonna, I was, I was trying to avoid it, but now here we are. So your analogy of you know the 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 EDR is the sentries inside the castle walls and the you know perimeter being the walls and the moat right and the outside. So if you've got a a reasonable size organization, let's call it a newer company, right? So you can use newer stacks. You know they're using Mac laptops. Um, they're Google Workspace customers. They everything is is web-based SaaS applications that they're accessing, you know, et cetera, right? And and this company's maturing to a point where they've realized that they have to adhere to a security framework and they can't do zero to 100. They gotta, they have to take choices. They have to implement, you know, at steps. And that company is looking at and deciding, okay, do we go and deploy an EDR? Because that's what we're supposed to do. You know, everybody's supposed to run an EDR or do we go get a SASE solution and deploy, you know, this, um, uh, a secure web, you know, get the benefits and have a secure web gateway and malware protection and URI, URI inspection and, and, you know, all, ZTNA and whatever else that's coming along with it and why, right? So that company can only buy one. They can only buy an EDR or they can only buy a SASE you know, system. And, you know, of course, the, the precursor to this is this this idea of like, we're running Mac, we and we're running Google Workspace. So we're perfectly fine in the first place, because there's no, there's no known exploits against Mac and Google Workspace that we have to worry about, right? There's no threat vector to us whatsoever, which we know isn't true. But um, I, I, I want to hear your argument for your side of this. So good news is we don't live in medieval times anymore. Um, we have uh, we have enhanced capabilities. We, but I, I will do my best to kind of extend the analogy out to this, what, what you've described as assets and resources that are available on the web, right? They're not contained within the castle walls. They're, they're uh, outside of the village. And so there's a couple of ways that I would extend the analogy for a solution, a sassy solution. One thing that has been very commonplace for clients of Perimeter 81 is taking what are representative IPs of this Perimeter 81 network for that organization. These are dedicated IP addresses, they're static, they're, they're not shared by other clients. That represents, you know, if a user is browsing the web through from their secure connection to the Perimeter 81 private network, they have the benefit of, uh, you know, an IP address that is, uh, is, is coming from that network, right? That says something about their traffic when they're visiting a, a web-based property like, um, you know, like G Suite, right? And so, you know, this is an extension of, you know, people used to have static IP addresses in the office and being able to achieve that represents, I believe, in some way on this analogy that you can prove to a vendor that's outside of the castle walls, right? Maybe you're going to the market in a, in a village, in a neighboring village, and you can represent yourself as coming from, as somebody that's coming from that secured castle environment, right? You it, call it an ID card that says, you know, I'm from, I'm from this home village, uh, and so I have these permissions to do what I want to. Um, that would be the the extension, I think, using conditional access um, as uh, as a way of of extending that. CASB is another 
right? This is a, another capability that extends from it as well is, okay, great, you're from that village. So we'll allow you into our marketplace. And, and given the permissions that you're allowed through CASB technology, we can determine what you're able to purchase, what areas, you know, what, what are you able to take with you from this marketplace? Um, I do think, um, you know, I, IDs and such in medieval times may have been uh, underutilized or not, not available technology. Um, so we have some benefits afforded to us, but I think that does kind of extend the analogy uh, and, and gives, you know, relates to what kind of control, what kind of protection do you want to have in place uh, when we have so many assets that are no longer just contained within the the four walls of the of the, the building or the castle, there are ways, given this newer technology, to contain or or retain that level of control over your do I call them subjects, um, your users, your employees, um, and the assets that your they can subjects. reach outside <laughs> of the the castle walls. I'm going to start referring to all my all my team as <laughs> <Yeah>. my subjects. <laughs> Leo, you want to chime in on this, or should I? Yes, yes. I do, I do want to add on what uh, Jim said. Eventually, um, you need to understand what are your assets. So if your assets are resigned in the endpoint, so maybe you need to protect it. However, most of the assets, most of the data, uh, sensitive information, credit cards and others are not resigned on the end. They are resigned on your database, on your cloud environments, on your servers and, and others. So they are, it's called what uh, Jim said, they are in the castle, okay? However, you need to first deal with the outer layers. And actually, the first layer of defense is the, is the network. It's, it's coming from external to the internal, okay, to your data. So eventually, I will, I will set a protection layer, a good protection layer um, in that uh, network environment before coming from external to internal or to the resource itself, uh, putting a status solution and mitigate the risk by maybe shifting local data to, to the cloud. And this is how I can mitigate, I could mitigate the risk on, on your example. Moreover, I can tell you that there, there's broad solutions. So there are also EDR, which are free of charge, or uh, maybe you can use a specific license. Uh, but eventually, I, I think you first need to protect your assets. I love that response. Um, and the softball version of this, Jim, is it is very difficult to deploy an EDR if you're too small. And if you're if you're talking about organizations that are sub 100 seats, deploying an EDR in the first place is very complicated and who's gonna manage it? There's a reason why there's a lot of companies in the space that are pushing MDR solutions where the ED, you know, they're, they're a managed detection response company on top of an EDR for companies because companies can, you know, it's, it's very difficult to deploy and manage an EDR on your own. Um, not to mention licensing. The, pra the, the practicality and reality of licensing, even within the Microsoft, you know, E5 security world, until you're at a certain seat count, like like you're not you know looking at e5 licensing or looking at extending and doing an e5 security licensing on top of it which would get you their edr or looking at like a crowdstrike or a sentinel and there are some edr solutions that are really targeting small organizations you know 25 seat kind of deals but um you still have to figure out how to install and manage it and maintaining that skill set and skill base internally to install and manage at that size is just not practical like it's it's an unrealistic expectation to say you've got one or two um, technical resources internally and you're going to deploy and manage an edr like it's just it's just not happening. So your your softball version of that is is starting at five seats means that everybody can have a very high degree of additional security and protection features for them. Let's let's dive into. I want to talk about like the technical, you know, like the, the actual like how the, this product builds out because you you also kind of got into a little bit of the the Casby and DLP functionality a little bit. So I think it'd be interesting to talk about like like the layers of this onion 
and and I'll, I'll start with like the first layer the first layer of course is you install your software you know a device so you know a computer device a mobile device right which connects to the perimeter 81 network and then and then everything builds builds from that out so how much how much of this platform is included by default and 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 what if anything becomes additional licensing like is there anything where a customer would come and say, okay, we're going to license just the SWG, but not the ZTNA, or do they get everything in one shot and one license? They don't even have to think about it. I'll start by saying where we came from, where we started, right? Because the vision has been uh, this full SASE capability, uh, but that's not, you know, we started with really coming from a ZTNA perspective. And so I'd say right now the solution has matured right over the time that I've been here and, it, and there's more to be done. It has two components. Uh, there's two types of licenses. There's secure access and there's secure internet or broadly what we refer to as. And so from its inception, it was an agent. Um, and actually for a long time since I've been here, we have an agentless component as well uh, that facilitates a secure connection back to the network, back to network resources, providing protection like a VPN would through you know, with the coffee shop network being the, the, the classic example. Uh, and then the controls that you have in place over that, which come on our on our most common package, right? There's different packages that we, we bundle them um, into three main years, if you will. Uh, but the most common one is gonna allow for firewall policies. So access control, following zero trust principles of default deny and um, very granular access control that is based on identity. And as, as well as identity, I mentioned, so integrations with identity providers, right? This is a peripheral feature uh, that we're, we're gonna integrate with your Okta or your, your one login or most commonly Azure AD or G Suite. Um, so that it's it's a, a single sign-on for uh, for the users and um, an identity-based policy making, and then device posturing, right? That's the context of what device is this user on? Is the EDR running on this device? Is the disk encrypted? Are, are the conditions that satisfy us from a security perspective being met? And again, the zero trust principle on a continuous basis, we're checking this. Let me oh, interrupt please. you for a second. I want to make yeah. sure that we talk about this. This is one of the big differentiators for me for something that's actually like an SDP or ZTNA solution versus what, what people are used to with VPNs. And you, you, you've talked about it for just a second, but I want you to expand on it, which is enforcing conditions are met on the device. And you gave an example of is it does it have an EDR? So what what is the example? Like give me an example and build this out in terms of conditions and policies that somebody would build for secure access through Perimeter eighty one using your ZTNA environment. So I think the first approach is the firewall, the access control, right? And basing that on identity is as the 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 primary, the kernel of truth is who is this user? What can they access? Is what helps you limit the impact of any kind of malicious insider or compromised endpoint. You know, the, the ultimate attack vector, as we said, is the user. So let's be restrictive in what users can access. They shouldn't access anything. They shouldn't be able to access or even know that something exists in the network if they don't need it to do their job. And in that way, we're gonna minimize the impact of any kind of error, any kind of uh, a misstep by a user or, yeah. So so that is the, I think the first step and a zero trust principle is I kind of feel, I feel like zero trust is a marketing term, right? But I, I would define it as uh, a, a few different characteristics. The first being we're taking a default of no, 
that would be the first that I think applies to different types of solutions that you know that use zero trust in their marketing is default is blanket no you don't get access to anything and that allows you to build very granular allow policies on top of that much better than the reverse which is okay what do we want to deny you're more likely to come up with uh, make some errors and and um, and and provide facilitate unfettered access for some malicious insider or, or compromised endpoint. So then a customer could do something like, um, is this a corporate owned device? You know, is there, is there a corporate issued certificate on the device? Um, you said, is there an, e is software running? Is the EDR running? Um, is the MDM running? Probably the other example of that, right? You'd say, um, is the user authenticated? That becomes a foundation. So is, are they signed into Google I would, or, or, or Azure, right? So then you'd probably do another one, which would be, have they done, you know, multi-factor authentication of some sort, or can you trigger like you've already authenticated, but we want to ask you for your passkey or whatever. Um, so then, um, then, then other policies that we see people ask for or talk about, um, can you geofence, you know, only allow this connection if this person is in this country or not in these other countries. So these are, and, these are all capabilities within the platform and a hundred percent. And this is, I mean, it's following a zero trust um, model. I think one of the other elements of this is it's not just a one-time check, you know, and so another element that I think uh, that resonates for me in, in the definition of zero trust is that it's not, we're not just checking once and then you're in and you, you can do what you need to. It's continuously going to monitor and check. Is this, are, are these conditions still being met? We can do that every 20 minutes on, um, on our devices. I'm being explicit in pointing this out because as you're responding and nodding, you're both nodding and, and Jimmy going, yep, yep, yep. Um, I've, I've been doing this for a long time and like I, I'm in the same boat. Like you, like you should just have this, right? Like this is just like, why wouldn't you want this for your environment? It is amazing how many companies do not have this capability. As in like they have just, they just don't have this capability. It doesn't exist. Oh, we can check and make sure, you know, I've, I've, had, I've had customers ask me because they're going through audits with their customer and they have a requirement that says something as simple as we need to ensure that customer data is only on company owned devices. How do we do that? You know, and that's the question. And they, and, and, and I don't, you know, it's, they've just never done this before. They've never, and you're like, well, what you need is you need a, you know, like, and, and you, you need this, just go get this. It's really simple. And, and that's where I say, we don't think we do a good job in, the, in this world of saying, okay, here's the actual end use case that's required. You know, some IT guy just got this ask that came down because the CRO wants to close this deal and in order to close the deal, they need to check this box. And they're like, well, how do we do this? Well, the answer is you deploy a real SDP with a zero trust network access and you do this other thing and then boom, you're done, you know? And then, oh, by the way, you get all this other stuff too that's really cool that you're gonna want. <laughs> right, and I, I think to your earlier point, sometimes it's, we can actually do this with what we have. Um, you know, I, I see, it, it's interesting, you know, seeing customers that will uh, sign on with us to, to set up restrictive access, but maybe they just weren't thinking when they deployed it that, hey, device posturing is a good idea. Let's let's use that aspect too. Um, it's something that our, our customer success managers and um, our account managers work on to, you have certain capabilities that are available to you. Let's make sure you're using them all, right? Let's, let's protect you as much as possible, get the full value so that that ROI calculation, however you're doing it, um, is, is, is coming out positive, as positive as it can be, but most importantly, that you're protecting uh, as much as you can, given what you've already put in place. So, okay. So, so, so first package, right? So foundational identity authentication, you know, et cetera, and then firewall and then zero trust. And then you said another package was um, internet access. Let's, let's. We have, um, so this, this is contained within that same agent that's facilitating the, the network access, uh, which is a nice uh, characteristic, I think, so that you can reduce the 
complexity of agents running on your on your managed devices. But uh, it has two two components right now. It's a uh, web filter capabilities and a malware engine. So this is the um, I'll start with the malware engine just being identifying risks uh, that users are encountering in their web journey um, through you know, looking for malicious signatures, looking for malicious behaviors. It is, it is doing both of those um, types of checks to, to verify that any of the files that a user might be downloading are blocked in transit. Right? So before it reaches the device, we're doing these checks and ensuring that they're blocked from, from ever reaching the endpoint. Um, so that the EDR system is only there in reserve. Uh, is this something that you built or something you partnered? We partnered on that one. The the two things that are partnered, so the web filter and the malware engine. Malware engine, I I, I won't share whom because one of them I, I'm allowed to share and the other one I'm not allowed to share and I, I don't remember which is which. So for this publication, I'll, I'll keep it. But yes, we, we partnered on that. You know, it, I, I think, and Lior, I'll... I'd be interested in your take on this too, but I think um, that problem has been solved, right? And um, and is is a continuously updated uh, problem. So we were we were happy to partner on that and delivering it through this platform, this holistic platform, um, was was the preference, the preferred approach. So this this is what, this is where I kind of go back to my earlier question of like asking about like modern security and approach, right? Because if you're when you start looking at it and you say URL filtering and a malware engine and um, and even remote browser inspection, you know, like RBI, are you actually unpacking and exploding a payload and looking at what it does and like, you know, on a, on a simulated device? You know, this idea of like, okay, do we have antivirus running on the computer? Well, you're like, well, no, you don't have antivirus running on the computer because you have all that capability running over here now. More importantly to you, it's getting a lot of data from a lot of different things all at the same time. And the more data that it ingests, the better it can become because it can see more things and it can see things that other people saw beforehand that you're not going to see yet. So by the time it hits you, you've already seen, you know, and it's that that becomes like such a simplistic no brainer for me in terms of capability of saying, you know, um, why, why wouldn't you want this? Like, how is this? How is this not like uh, just, I, I mean, I don't know. Tell me I'm wrong, right? Like, Lior, like when you think about this and you start talking about like security and scale, right? You know, one organization trying to defend against attacks it sees versus bringing in a service provider that sees aggregate attacks or aggregate traffic across, you know, tens, hundreds, thousands, you know, millions of endpoints. Like, am I wrong to say there's value in that? Um, I think you, should, you shouldn't invent the wheel. So, you know, for example, I, I take a, a different different uh, side as to, uh, you can develop an encryption uh, algorithm, okay, out of scratch. You can develop it, it will take you X amount of time. However, someone already developed a secure algorithm. Someone developed an encryption mechanism. The only thing you need to do is to download and use uh, this uh, secure mechanism, put the the right key length, and then you will get an encrypted data. You will be able to decrypt and encrypt. Of course, use it in a secure way, uh, the best practice. Uh, however, if somebody already invented it, someone already built this uh, security device or it, it can insist you to increase your security level or use this capability, you know, you don't need to invent the wheel. So, so for sure, uh, just see what all the tools as a, as a security professional, I'm always being updated and going to webinar and understand the, the new uh, technology, uh, for example, AI capabilities and other, uh, to better understand how I can protect my organization for those new uh, attack scenarios. And I think SASE nowadays, it's a mandatory when everyone is working from home. So I think it's a, it's a best practice. So it's a standard. It's becoming a, a standard, a well-known standard. Uh, however, there might be more. So you need to be updated. You need to validate your risk also every time a new technology emerges or a new attack uh, is emerging. You need to validate what had happened. What are the new techniques that hackers are using and vice versa? 
to protect the organization. You say NML. I mean, this is this changes the game both offensively and defensively for within within security. Uh, I'm curious about you know this idea. Like for a long time, antivirus and, and malware detection was is signature based, right? Like, okay, we found this virus that has an embedded Excel macro that's going to do something horrible to you, you know, and and we're going to look for that signature and we're going to prevent it, right? But it's very easy to change and manipulate the packages and then the signatures don't match and then things things don't work, right? Um, but then I, I look at it and I think about it in terms of my customer base, right? Where, you know, in some cases, um, it would be unusual for a company in Los Angeles to talk to a city in uh, Nigeria, except I've got one that builds desalination plants and they have a project in Nigeria, right? So they're in Los Angeles company with operations and people in Nigeria and they actually have to send data back and forth between, you know, LA and Nigeria. So, it, it, it kind of introduces like two things, right? Where on the one hand you say, okay, there's this like broad approach of saying it's it's probably bad for, you know, this this LA-based office to be sending traffic to Nigeria. But the other side you say, okay, well, this LA company does need to send traffic to, to Nigeria. And then when you look at that and you start exploding that up into, you know, more and more customers that you guys are now securing and protecting, how do you, how do you look at this from a, you know, let's say bucket of like, this is overall might be bad versus like, this is what you normally do or you would fit in this bucket that this would be normally good, but like you've never done this before. So it's bad and we need to do something about it. Like how do these classification rules at a high level start to, to apply? And how do you think about this with perimeter 81, you know, as you're looking at these things with your product? I think if you may ask, uh, may, may answer the question, Jim, uh, I think a zero trust uh, approach will be the best way. You cannot trust anyone. You're thinking that you're receiving an email from uh, your uh, colleague in uh, Nigeria. However, there might be a hacker sending you a phishing email that's actually being uh, showed or present himself like your colleague. So our attitude is zero trust. Don't trust anyone. Inspect, do your malware protection, scan the data, don't connect to links uh, that you're not familiar, don't download the software. So. A zero trust approach will be a, a good uh, a good way of uh, of, of protection um, and also awareness and training. We, we talked about it. Um, be more aware that um, you know maybe it's not the the real colleague that uh, is sending you an email. Uh, maybe you shouldn't click the link. However, you need additional protection layer. So if you have like something that can also uh, scan the email, uh, notify you, it seems malicious, uh, have some security drills or phishing campaign in order to increase the awareness. Uh, so I think eventually you need to combine the, the technology and the right process, process of how you are receiving an email. Maybe it should be in, in encrypted tunnel with the MTLS. So there are technology, the technology of, of securing email uh, are there for example, if you want to have like a, a secure transfer of files, there are some solutions for that. Um, so there are technology, there is the technology, so the process, the technology, and eventually also the, the people, um, which you need to gain their awareness to this uh, phishing email and not to, for example, expose specific uh, sensitive data, some unauthorized a person, even if he's asking your username and password in order to assist you with an IT problem. So never send it via email, for example, or never state your username and password. Um, but zero trust. I think zero trust is not just a, a buzzword. It's a, a real way of uh, of living nowadays. You cannot trust anyone. Sorry for saying that. What, so what do you do? What do you do with the 
like legacy office environment, you know, the things that cannot have an agent installed on it. Like, how do you, how do you, what do you, what do you do about like the light bulb in the fish tank in the office gets hacked because it's got an IOT sensor on it and is now, you know, beaconing something to command and control somewhere else off of your corporate network. Like how, how do you deal with those kind of scenarios? Okay, so I think you, you should, you should build the defensive layer approach as I, as I mentioned, because eventually an IOT in your, in your internal network with a command and control internally should it be exposed to some external resource without any proxy so uh, from architectural point of view you need to uh, set those three layer approach three layer of uh, security and and of course monitor everything so if there is any anomaly uh, you should detect it if someone wants to penetrate your organization from external you need to have some logs and alerts over there uh, for anomaly detection but you need to also uh, build your uh, defense in their approach. So for example, validate who has access uh, with the correct policy to the organization, uh, which computer and which policy you enforce when connecting to the organization, or even uh, even after validating the, the policy and validated the endpoint has the pre- has the you know the capability or the security capabilities, even less if it's permitted or authorized to gain this access. Uh, so there should be several layers of approach and several layers of uh, defense and put your uh, first defense in the in the external network then you can or should have some internal network capabilities in order to detect like IDS, IPS, uh, etc. And also protect your data layer and and of course IoT. Some will be also uh, advise you to have some separation between IoT network to other network. So separation of uh, segregation of of networks. And there are also several approaches how to protect IoT. I know that also ISO has some uh, security uh, standards on how to protect IoT. Also NIST and SANS will follow those uh, standards. You know, it's just in general. Eventually, also if you have an IoT device in your system, go to the manufacturer, ask them how to protect, how should I protect, or which protection mechanism you also advise, or what will be the secure architecture, because uh, nowadays the security should be out of the box. And if your manufacturer doesn't give you those uh, security best practices, maybe his, uh, his IoT device is not so secure. Maybe you should uh, consider taking another one. Are you building integrations with SD-WAN, firewall, you know, I mean, if I wanted, if somebody wanted just to shove their entire corporate traffic into, you know, at perimeter, you know, and, and take uh, whatever they have on site and build an IPsec tunnel from their firewall, their NAT device, their SD-WAN, whatever it is, to your service and just say, this entire office now is going to flow through perimeter 81. And, you know, if we've got some rogue IoT device that somebody plugged into a power outlet somewhere, we're going to see it now and be able to deal with that. Is that something that's, that you have or coming down the pipeline? I mean, you know, I mean, is is there like um, you say like don't trust anybody? Is there like just a like a default stat you know status that people can get into or a company can get into here? I would say we we do right. We we have um, we have a, kind of an SD WAN light capability in that it, uh, you can you can push all your traffic from a site through this network, and that's going to make uh, that traffic available through logs. Um, it's going to allow you. Uh, Controls firewall policy controls from you know, based on IP address. I, I will say though, I don't. I don't think it's the it's it's not the primary use case that I've seen. It's I think the the solution we we have is it's much more um, it's much more focused on identity based policy setting. Um, who is this person? What are they allowed to access? But uh, to answer your question, yes, it, it would it would work in that way. And we do we do see this 
often layered on top of like an SD-WAN solution, but it is typically uh, providing that security layer for, uh, in those cases, for users that are outside of the SD-WAN environment. So I don't know if that exactly answers your question. No, it, it, that does. So um, you said there were three packages, right? We talk about um, zero trust, remote access, internet access. I'm, I'm fascinated. What is the third package here? Is it just a com combination of those two together? So I, I should um, I should rephrase. There are three there are three different packages that uh, have different levels of those two kind of components. Um, actually, the, the secure internet package is it was introduced. We started with secure access. That was our inception. Um, secure internet is something that we started going to market with probably a little over a year ago, I want to say. And, and so that has been an add-on to that secure access package. Um, I don't I don't think uh, I'm breaking any rules to say we, we have had a lot of interest in having those two different capabilities available separately. And we are planning to deliver that to the market so that you can go one or the other, and it wouldn't necessarily be secure access and then add on internet, it might go the other way. So those, those are kind of the two different types of SKUs that we have is the um, secure access and all the controls that you are required to have to protect your environment um, in that way, and then secure internet, which today is web filter and uh, and malware protection, and that in the uh, in the near future, we'll, we're speaking about roadmap is going to have more of those types of controls related to like CASB, DLP, and, and how you want to control um, access to web-based assets. Those are the two ways that I categorize it. Leo, this is kind of a product question here, but also how you guys think about this. I've seen a lot of requests for CASB and DLP functionality, and it, it feels like most of them are really kind of like this CASB or DLP light kind of need, where it's more like, hey, I want to I want to put a rule on Salesforce that only allows my known IP addresses to connect to our Salesforce instance, or you know, 365 or Workspace or whatever, right? Like there's this, there's this when you read like. CASB as a spec, it, it does a whole lot more than like just limit you to one IP, right? Um, and then also within the DLP space, you know, there's this thing of like, oh, I don't want, you know, um, somebody downloading uh, an Excel spreadsheet with social security numbers onto their laptop and like walking out the office with it, right? You know, it becomes kind of like this, this, this like kind of like idea around DLP, you know? So, so within, when we talk about CASB and DLP in the perimeter 81 world, like what functionality and features are you delivering and how do you think about CASB and DLP for somebody that's 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 asking you for it? So I, I'll start um, briefly with, uh, you know, just from the product side, what we have today and what's roadmap. And and then, Lior, I would love to get your your kind of take on what what we what you see us kind of developing and, and how you see this evolving. Because today, we I wouldn't, I don't go to market and say that we have a CASB or DLP capability today. I, I would say that's roadmap. But I don't even know we, what they mean anymore. So yeah, that's kind that of too. like... <laughs> Well, to your point, I mean, that that initial, that CASB light capability where, hey, we want to make sure that you can only get into Salesforce from a secured connection, from our IP address uh, with a secured device. That's very much something that we have the capability today and that we have probably half of our customers are employing that type of capability in some way. Uh, so it's great to hear you say, if you define that as CASB light, um, I'll, I'll take it. Um, but then the, the greater controls that you asked for, I think there's a great business case. This is this goes back to, hey, the CRO came back to the IT uh, team, the security team and said, hey, we want to get this deal. We need to have, we need to make sure that no user can download a, a file that has social security numbers on it. Not a control that we're able to enforce today through this platform. Um, but these are these are roadmap features that we are, you know, we, we get the, the requests plenty. So these are the, the top, top features that we're working on right now. 
I'll leave it at that. And Lior, let you add kind of what you see as the important capabilities and what you've heard. Yeah, so so I, I can tell you that a DLP, let's, let's start with the DLP. Data leakage prevention is it's a known, uh, known product or line of product can prevent uh, extracting or sending uh, uh, organizational data or sensitive data outside of the, the organization. Um, so those systems have their own, uh, uh, let's call it market and, and a use case. Uh, I truly believe, as Jim said, will be part of our roadmap. Uh, we can see customers or use cases uh, of our customers that are uh, requesting it and, and it's part of our roadmap. Even, even if, even, even, uh, even if you are going outside of the, the organizational regular structure, like the, the on-prem, you are going to the, to the cloud and you want to ship data and data is shipped between edge to, to the network and resources, the DLP is something that, that is well known and uh, is part of our roadmap. Uh, also, uh, Casby, I think when you are when you are performing, we are already there. We are already performing the identity uh, the authentication, the users. So I think the next step will be what will be uh, what will be uh, what authorized or what authorization rights do you have on a specific applications? I don't think those are very strong use cases. However, we are hearing that, and as Jim said, we are. Uh, we are moving forward. Um, actually, we are driven by use cases. So, Casby is a it's a wide range of solution. Nobody really knows what is a full Casby. Uh, however, we are collecting uh, our customers' use cases and and followed by experience. So, we are developing. Uh, we have it also in our roadmap. So, I don't think it will have you know full blown everything uh, Casby included. Uh, however, yes, we will have uh, this kind of uh, of uh, of security capabilities. Uh, what you are authorized to see, which application, also inside the application itself, uh, what are you authorized to perform or not authorized. So yes, we are building those capabilities also. I think it's also mandatory uh, because eventually all the data are designed in software, in application, uh, in order to get this application, to get uh, to specific data, change the data, uh, retrieve the uh, sensitive data, things like that. Um, and it goes inside this channel of, of connecting to uh, the organization. Um, so yes, we have also those capabilities will be uh, as part of our product roadmap, as uh, Jim said. We kind of glossed over identity, and I, I just want to point this out here for, for the sake of it. Um, Colonial Pipeline, you know, we've got some great imagery of people with, you know, uh, filling, putting gasoline in the back of their trucks and tarps, right? Because nobody can get gas out. And Colonial Pipeline was a uh, compromised VPN account as the source um, for a employee that was no longer with the company for, I think, over a year. So it, it, it becomes this funny thing where we talk about identity. We, we have, I've really focused on a lot of other features, but having strong identity connection between your internet and remote access product back into your actual like source of truth being, you know, these accounts actually still exist and people work here and, and should, should be doing something on our platform in the first place, again, becomes one of these like such a basic thing where if it's just in place for a company, <laughs> it eliminates so much stuff from potential threat vectors that like you, you know it's it's it, it really deserves to be its own product right we don't we just kind of but we, we you know it's like naturally you're like oh let's talk about secure access and ztna and all these things we can do with provisioning and everything else i want to talk about but you know it's it's it, it really is really important you know identity is a, a a big factor in all this i promised both of you at the beginning of this that this would be 60 minutes so in 60 to 80 minutes and we're over 60 to 80 minutes and i could keep going probably for more 
for hours to come. But, um, uh, you know, that's just because I'm, I'm going to nerd out about this. I'm looking forward to getting on the platform and kicking the tires and, you know, putting it through the paces and everything else. Um, I'm very excited also that you guys are coming to market or, or shouldn't say come to market are in market with a low license count, you know, requirement for customers. I'm very much a everybody should have access to sophisticated security options in an easy to consume way. You know, it's frustrating that, you know, the, the, the small companies can't access a lot of the email security tools because they're not licensed properly. They're not running Google Enterprise. They're not running, you know, an E5, E5 license for E3, E5 license for Microsoft. And I'm really, was really excited to, you know, to hear that, Jim, earlier and without like, you know, harping that to the end of the world. I've got a lot of situations where I've seen companies have big problems and they were under licensing thresholds that kept them out of different platforms with EDR vendors because they were just too small for it. And they need the sophistication, they need the capability for it, and they just couldn't get it because they just didn't meet the requirement and it wasn't feasible for them. Um, thank you guys very much for doing that. Thank you both very much um, for, for joining me. I will I will say, you know, any last words, anything that you want to leave with or that we didn't touch about, you know, now is, now is probably a great time. Oh, well, I appreciate the kind words and for having us. And absolutely, we'd love to have you using the the solution too. kick the tires um you know hit hit it as hard as you as you can and like get to know it and um the as far as i will comment on kind of the license count and the um the low barrier to entry for for organizations that i i get excited about this because i feel like small organizations are are, are in as uh threatening a position as large enterprise um, if not more so because they don't have access to a lot of the the security capabilities that a large enterprise does with the competence of the teams that a large enterprise can employ. It's felt good to be able to deliver a, a solution to smaller organizations that I think are underserved from the, uh, from the security uh, marketplace. And we have worked really hard. I think what sets us apart from other, we've talked a lot about SASE in general, and um, I'm, I'm a sales guy, so I'll say, you know, we're, <laughs> You know, where I find distinguished most in this space is that we uh, have worked hard to make it as intuitive to deploy and manage as possible, so that it can be consumed easily by a small organization. So it's not just the lower barrier to license counts. It's hey, with with a, a, a more stripped down team with um, with more limited competence and with less man hours to configure and, and, and keep it running and keep it secure. Um, we've worked hard to make it attainable for, for organizations of that size. So I um, appreciate you mentioning that. And again, appreciate you having us. Um, excited to be working with you. And let me know if you ever want us to come back. This was fun. Larry, thank you as well. It's been a pleasure. I've had a lot of fun with us.